0: This is a podcast from the Business Times.
1: Welcome to Wealth with BT, hosted by Genevieve Khoa.
0: In this episode, find out what the connection is between climate risks and capital markets and returns, and how you as an investor can respond to this crisis. This episode is brought to you by Pictet Wealth Management.
1: Hi there, everyone. I'm Genevieve Qua, Wealth Editor of the Business Times and host of this podcast, Wealth with BT. Just around a decade ago, it seemed like we had the luxury of seeing climate change and social issues as something, well, if not quite remote, they certainly didn't seem immediate. But this year has dramatically shown the impacts of climate change in the form of extreme heat and weather disasters all over the world, including storms, floods, and fires. Is it too late for action? This episode, we look into responsible investing and why that's front and center among financial institutions and investors. You've heard the arguments. Climate change is an existential crisis and poses risks for everyone, for economies and their sources of growth, for people, whose livelihoods and health are affected. Companies will also find that there is a concrete cost to carbon emissions that will affect their business. In asset markets, climate change will impact asset values and investment returns. For investors, there is also the desire to ensure the world remains a good place for our children's children. We have a guest in this episode, Evelyn Yeo of Pictay Wealth Management Asia. I'll introduce her in a couple of minutes. She's going to help us spell out the issues and grasp the opportunities too. So where do I even begin to describe the climate catastrophes this year? Asia has seen record-breaking temperatures of more than 50 degrees Celsius. I can't even imagine how bad that must feel. Singapore's highest recorded temperature in 40 years was in May at 37 degrees. But temperatures in the China township hit 52 degrees. According to the UN, the Earth has endured the hottest summer on record this year. Repeated heat waves are fueling devastating fires and doing lasting harm to health and the environment. Here's the thing. The UN recently issued its report card on the progress on climate issues. This technical report is a global stocktake. It's done every five years and will be used as input for the upcoming COP28, the Global Climate Conference, in November. If you recall, the Paris Agreement in 2015 committed the world to limit global temperature rise to well below 2 degrees centigrade. But countries are miles away from meeting those goals. Based on current pledges, global temperature is expected to rise by 2.5 degrees by the year 2100. To prevent this, emissions must be drastically cut by an estimated 30% by 2035. The UN stocktake urged countries to cut the use of coal power by up to 92% by 2030 compared to 2019. Just as sobering was a recent update on the progress, or lack of it, of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. There are a total of 17 goals, and a target to achieve them by 2030. As this podcast is being recorded, the SDG Summit is underway, and I'm sure we'll hear more about the urgency of the many issues. But the report is hard-hitting. It says the SDGs are in deep trouble. Progress on more than half of the goals is weak. On 30% of the targets, progress has stalled or even gone into reverse. There are some culprits, from reading the report, you'll see how the problems and impacts are intertwined. One culprit is the very slow progress on the climate crisis and the lack of financing for the transition towards lower emissions. Countries in emerging Asia suffer the brunt of climate disasters, and they have little funding for low-carbon infrastructure. But the other major factors are the Ukraine war and COVID, in particular, COVID has reversed some of the progress in global health. There is also the issue of global hunger. According to the update, global hunger is now at 2005 levels. This means the world has regressed. Private capital can play a big role to help finance these needs. For clean energy, it's estimated that the current investment of 1 trillion US dollars a year will need to ramp up to 4 trillion dollars a year by 2030. My guest in the studio today is Evelyn Yeo, Head of Asia Investment for Pictet Wealth Management Asia. She's responsible for research, solutions, and distribution in Asia. Thank you for being with us, Evelyn. Thank you, Jen. Very happy to be here today. The impact of climate change seemed particularly severe these past few months. What's the connection between climate risks and capital markets and returns? How can investors respond to this crisis?
0: You're right. I mean, the impacts of climate change has been rather severe the past few months. We have been also seeing all this headline news about the record heat wave we've seen in Europe just in August. And just a few weeks ago, we saw record rainfall as well in Hong Kong, resulting in severe flooding. So yes, we think that investors can and should in fact play a role here. Ultimately, I think living in this world, all of us, our behaviours, our habits and our decisions all have impact on the world that we live in. And when we are wearing the hats of investors as well, we are also stewards of financial capital, meaning that we can all help to drive the allocation or the reallocation of financial resources. So understanding and appreciating our dual roles, both as inhabitants of this earth and also as stewards of the financial capital market will help us to connect the dots between climate change risk and capital markets. We believe that climate change would have a material impact on asset prices and investment returns in the coming years, and we examine all this in three parts. The first part is about cost, so climate risk will inevitably translate into higher cost. For example, in the form of higher insurance cost, higher costs associated with increased disclosure and transparency across the various supply chains, as well as the higher cost due to the requirements to meet new regulations. The second part is how we look at externalities. So over the years, economists have been talking about the various externalities, including greenhouse gas emissions. Up until a few years ago, we were all okay with just identifying all these externalities and distributing the cost at the public level. Now, however, we are seeing an increasing trend and a stronger push to internalize all these externalities. Meaning that, you know, making all these companies companies that are causing all these externalities to pay. So the immediate implication is that these companies will see a direct hit to their bottom line. And the third part is all about this cost being relative. So on one hand, all these efforts to mitigate climate change will come with a high upfront cost. However, these costs are unavoidable. And the cost of doing nothing will be even much higher in the end. So governments, companies and the public have come to realise this fact. And therefore, increasingly, the investing public are starting to look beyond the short-term profitability drop and focus more on the company's transition plans. So how should investors respond to all this? Specifically, we think that investors can do the following three points. The first is to properly assess the climate risk, be it the physical risk or the transition risk, to ensure that they don't end up with stranded assets or costly controversies in their investment portfolios. And the second point is that they should be looking to evaluate and capture any middle to long-term opportunities that could arise from the needed investment in new technologies or any shifts in government subsidies and also the changing consumer behaviours. And finally, I think investors can also become more active owners and influence the companies they invest in through engagement and voting.
1: Still to come, how do investors ensure that their funds and investments are truly doing more than just lip service for their sustainable or responsible goals? And now back to Wealth with BT. Brought to you by Pictay Wealth Management. We've just been speaking to Evelyn Yeo of Pictet Wealth Management Asia. But here's the thing, Evelyn. Almost every fund and even company claims to be sustainable and responsible and cite their use of an ESG approach, which suggests that they are mindful of their environmental, social and governance impacts. Mm. But there are quite a few ESG approaches, and not all approaches are equal. What should investors be looking for if they want their investments to truly help address environmental and social change?
0: I think investors need to look for two things. One is intentionality, and the other one is measurability. So for intentionality, this refers to the intention to have a positive impact. And this goes beyond merely looking at ESG factors. So when we are talking about E, S and G, we are talking about having the companies take into account specific E, S or G risk in order to protect their businesses and profitability. For example, companies need to be aware and plan for things like potential political unrest, which is more a G factor, or natural disasters, which is more an E factor. This could affect companies with production and operations and drag down their profitability. On the other hand, when we talk about impact, and this can be positive or negative impact, we are talking about the impact that the companies can have on the environment and society. Just to quote a negative example, the factories of certain companies can pollute rivers and this can cause damages to the communities living nearby. Or on the positive side, this company can also set up more plants and employ additional people and therefore improve the communities that they serve. So this is what we refer to when we are talking about negative or positive impact. It is really about the company's contribution. So investors need to truly understand the intentionality of this company, of whether it's the more direct links to ESG factors or it's more talking about the impact that they have. The other element that investors need to look for is measurability. So it is important to see that the impacts of these companies are being measured properly and reported clearly in a more transparent manner.
1: Mm. What do you see as the major themes in responsible investing that those with a long horizon could put their money in that would generate both impact and returns? Mm. Here we can list
0: four of such major themes. First is energy transition. Second is circular economy. Third is biodiversity and the last one being health and well-being. These are all interconnected domains that address some of the most pressing global challenges such as climate change, biodiversity loss, resource depletion and public health. With the first theme, which is energy transition, we are talking about the process of shifting from fossil fuels to renewable sources of energy such as solar, wind, hydro and biofuels. This process is essential for reducing greenhouse gas emission and mitigating the effects of climate change. Investors can harness the potential of all this energy transition by supporting companies that are devoting innovative solutions to help improve energy efficiency and promote access to clean energy. And with the second theme, circular economy, we are talking about the idea of minimizing waste and maximizing resource efficiency by designing products and services that can be revised, repaired, recycled, or even regenerated. This way, the value of energy and materials is preserved within the system rather than being lost or discarded. So for circular economy, we are not looking at it as just a way to reduce the environmental impact but also as a source of innovation and competitive advantage for businesses that can adapt to changing consumer preferences and also the evolving regulatory pressure. And with the third theme, which is biodiversity, we are addressing the links between resource scarcity, the impact of climate change on biodiversity, and the various challenges we will face in the coming decades. In fact, according to some research, of biodiversity loss over the recent decades have been linked to damaging practices such as overfishing, deforestation, and the use of pesticide. Biodiversity in itself is also a form of natural capital that supports economic activities and reduces exposures to physical and transition risk related to climate change and natural disasters. So it is important to examine the sources of innovation differentiation, and competitive advantage for companies across the various sectors, such as agriculture, food, pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, tourism, and even finance. And finally, the last theme on health and well-being. We are looking at it beyond being a personal goal, but also as a key driver of social and environmental progress. As the world faces unprecedented challenges, such as the COVID pandemic that we just came up from, the ongoing climate change and ageing populations challenges, investing in health and wellness can create both the positive impacts on people's well-being, resilience and the overall economic productivity. Overall, health and wellness can also generate attractive returns for investors who are looking for long-term growth opportunities. According to some research, the global health and wellness market is currently valued at around $4.9 trillion dollars and is expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 6% through 2030. This could continue to be driven by increasing discretionary income globally and the general desire to adopt a healthy and active lifestyle, especially after the pandemic. So in conclusion, by investing in companies that are leading the way along these four major themes of energy transition, circular economy, biodiversity and health and wellness, investors can contribute to the positive social and environmental outcomes and also benefit from the growth opportunities of innovative and resilient businesses.
1: I'd be interested myself in how you execute some of these ideas. But on another point... Pictay has incorporated certain processes as it screens for companies and funds for clients. What are the most important elements in these processes? How how do they help you sift out opportunities versus what companies to avoid?
0: Yes, as a wealth manager, you know, we have done quite a few things and there are two important elements in these processes. The first one is about having good data and the second one is about having strong quality of data integration. So, on the first point on data, here we are talking about management and governance. It is important to dedicate to us capacity and also grow the competency on collecting and using the right data. At this present point, we have around 20 different data providers and thousands of data points and we'll have already set up a dedicated governance around our proprietary ESG database. On the second point about the quality of data integration, Here we are talking about ensuring that everyone across the different functions can meaningfully integrate the relevant information. So bottom-up intelligence is needed to ensure this meaningfulness and the top-down direction is needed to ensure that the right incentives are in place. So in short, we need to have the right data to be managed in the right way and to be used by the right people. And in terms of sifting out the opportunities from the companies to avoid, you know, when we are looking at companies, it is key to identify which of the E, S, and G characteristics are material to the specific sector or company. For example, the physical climate risks are more financially material for manufacturing companies with production plants than for companies with a distributed cloud storage. It is also important to identify the relevance of the company on a specific outcome, For example, having a on the reduction of greenhouse gas emission would be more relevant for a utilities company than for a recruitment agency. Also, active management is a key tool for us to share best practices and to support companies to transition, and this is often more convincing and sustainable in our view than exclusions. Exclusions should really be used as a last resort. And finally, when we are looking at funds as well, it is important to look both at the fund management company and the specific investment process of the fund itself. Here, we pay special attention to the level of transparency and the active ownership tools being used. Engagements do work as well when investing in funds. For example, we do work very closely with the selected third-party fund managers and monitor their commitments to science-based target initiatives
1: as well. Thank you for joining us in the studio, Evelyn, and for all your insights. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. The climate crisis isn't irreversible, but it will take a concerted effort, especially from governments and capital markets, to move the needle. I hope you've picked up insights on how responsible investing can help. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.
0: This episode of Wealth with BT was brought to you by Pictae Wealth Management. This is a podcast by the Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg/slash podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.